0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Overcoming Life Podcast. I'm your host, Nashawn Garrett, and we have been going through some interesting times recently, people. Uh, There is a lot, obviously, going on with regards to the presidential election. Biden has been officially declared by the media as uh, the presidential candidate who has won, but there is many a discrepancy and um, the Trump administration is putting out some legislation uh, that seems to indicate that there might be some voter issues, voter fraud, some type of fraudulence in the election as a whole, and we will see if there is anything that comes up out of that in general. Um but again this is not really a news uh platform but I don't know just in case you're living under a rock and you want to know what was going outside of that rock well now you know Hey guys we have been talking about the book of Romans and we have been in our um we are in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans where Paul is has laid so many wonderful foundations that um we have been talking about and speaking about in the last few um episodes so we are talking about the hope of creation guys we have established the fact that we are sons and we are fellow heirs with christ and paul actually gives us two factors which prove our sonship the first factor is that we are being led by the spirit which is seen in romans chapter 8 verse 14 and the second is that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him And this, guys, is primarily a reference to our identification with Christ in his death, his burial, his resurrection. And as we put to death the flesh and live in the power of the resurrection life, we give clear evidence that we are sons of God. Now, if you're not putting to death the flesh and if you're not living in the power of resurrection life, then it would be hard to have clear evidence that you are truly a son of God. And if there is no discipline, if there is no conviction, if there is no desire to want uh, to live within the boundaries of God's law, um, then of course there are, we will have to raise some questions about that, right? In verse 18 we read, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Remember that glory is revealed in you. Remember, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then there's another verse that says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, we will also appear with him in glory. In verse 19, we read, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing. That is the revelation, the unveiling. The Greek word there is apokalypsin. the sons of god here paul moves from the present to the future there's not only a present suffering but also a future glory and what glory are we talking about guys that glory that we are speaking of is the revealing of the sons of god when we presently manifest god's glory through our limited ability to live the resurrection life creation can see in us only through a veil but the time is coming. When, when creation will see the glory of Christ unveiled fully. And that—that that is an, a wonderful and amazing day. And I, I think that speaks to the time of the resurrection. I think that speaks to the time of rulership. I think that speaks to the time of the messianic kingdom, the kingdom age. So let's talk about unveiling his glory. We're going to take a little uh, little look and a little detour back to the Old Testament with Moses, guys. Um. When the tabernacle of Moses was built, there was two veils in the sanctuary. A lot of people go back to the reference of when Jesus was on the cross. The veil was rent into. There was one veil that was written to. And they were speaking of the veil that goes (coughs) from the inner court uh, that goes from the inner court to the Holy of Holies. There's a veil between those two courts. Now, these veil, but there are actually two veils. There are actually two veils. Now, these veils uh, hide and hid at that time the glory of God. So, when God came down upon Mount Sinai, obviously, um, if we read there, we see that he came down as a fire. There was some smoke, there was some cloud, but he came down as a fire and he veiled his glory. And we see this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 21. Now, when the temple of Solomon was filled with the glory of God, a cloud once again filled the house to veil his glory. When Jesus came, he came full of the glory of God. And remember, in Colossians, we read that in him, that is Jesus, all the fullness was pleased to dwell. So a cloud. um, So when he came in human flesh, his human flesh was the veil of. That covered the glory that was inside of him. And likewise, as sons of God and as of the body of Christ, we are also the house of the glory of God. Yet it is hidden behind this human flesh, which acts as a veil. So all the saints in scripture were veiled in that sense, of course. And together they were and they form the great cloud of witnesses, which we understand and see in Hebrews chapter 12, verse one, Which says Since we're among Or being witnessed by such a great Cloud of witnesses We are told then That when God came down From Sinai he came with 10,000 saints or holy Ones in Deuteronomy Chapter 32 uh, Excuse me chapter 33 verse 2 and in Jude chapter uh, Jude um, v- Chapter 1 verse 4 Okay and so Uh, This reads and excuse me, and I believe it's Jude chapter one, verse 14. It was also and this is what it reads about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied saying, behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones. And this is a quotation from the book of Enoch also. These holy ones, they can be angels. Or they can be men, guys. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 19, it says that the law was ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator. Moses was the mediator in that day, but the angels may be the cloud of holy ones. So others believe that this cloud upon Sinai was the cloud of witnesses as seen in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. And if so, we have to keep in mind that the spiritual realm is not bound by time or space. Right we right now are bound by time and space because of the physical bodies that's, which we live, and I mean any attempt to try to escape this realm this existence um, this if you even want to call it a simulation, whatever you want to call it any any um, attempt to escape this and to find it it's it is can be troublesome um, unless it is the case that God has brought you out unless it is the case that um There, You are being pulled out by the Spirit of God um, who is setting you apart to understand something. Um, Generally, it's not good to go searching and looking for that kind of stuff, guys, because it can be very dangerous and um, it can really um, mess with our minds, mess with our ability to perceive, to understand reality as it is um, purposed to be understood in this age. So at Sinai, The event at Sinai might have been witnessed by men and women who had not yet been born, but who would later come into that place of glory later on. So it could be the case that these witnesses, this cloud, was actually people who had not yet been born, but who were, again, glorified um, in the reality outside of time and space. I believe that when a person is in the spiritual dimension, he or she could return to the time-based world at any point in history as desired. And so the saints accompanied... Accompanying the glory of God at Sinai could very well have concluded the cloud of witnesses who have not who had not yet been born at that time. So creation itself, as we know from the book of Genesis, was created to manifest the glory of God in this earthly dimension in the physical realm. And God's purpose for creation will be fulfilled in the end, which is to manifest his glory in spite of the long detour. That was brought about by the sin of Adam and the lawlessness of men. Creation as a whole seems to know this for it is eagerly waiting the climax of history when the sons of God will be unveiled. That is, they will put off this uh, this flesh and put on a spiritual body um, which can reveal the glory of God, reveal Christ in them. In verse 20 of chapter eight, we read for the creation was subjected. To futility, not of its own will, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be also set free from its slavery to corruption and to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You guys see, the creation did not subject itself to futility, it was done so unwillingly. They were subjected unwillingly, not of its own will. God did subject it to futility. However, God did not do so apart from the hope of being reconciled. And the Greek word translated hope is elipis. It is not based upon wishful thinking, but upon confidence, an expectation, a great expectation that we have when he will reconcile all things to himself and all things are put and found in Christ. The Septuagint translator used this word elipis as the equivalent of the Hebrew word michbacht and bachtacht. Young's concordance says that michbacht means trust and confidence, and that bacht means to lean on, to trust, and to be confident. So, again, a hope does not put us to shame. It's not a hope that puts us to shame, it's a hope that we have confidence in um and we have expectation that something will happen not that something might or may happen if possible or if certain things are in order it can, it it says that the promise is based upon him him who is able to do all things but fail so we have to conclude that creation is not experiencing anxiety attack on account of the uncertainty of its hope no creation knows and, it has been, and it's an impatient longing because it is confident that what God has purposed will indeed be fulfilled. So, in verse 22 we read, We know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Hope, guys, is actually a confident expectation of the things to come. It is a word used a pregnancy as well for a pregnant mother is said to be expecting, right? And of course, this is far more than wishful thinking because a pregnant woman has confidence that she will no doubt give birth at the appointed time in the future. And in that sense, creation is expecting the earth has already brought forth the head, which is Christ himself. Now the body just follows, right? And so again, of course, if you guys are looking at this image of a woman giving birth, generally it's the crown. They say they're crowning. You can see the head being pushed out. Yes, Christ is the head of the body, and he has already been pushed out. So creation uh, is, is bringing forth It is is an eager expectation of the rest of the body to be revealed, the fullness of the body to be revealed. And all the pain and the suffering that creation has been experiencing since Adam has been the pains of childbirth, guys. When God told Eve in Genesis chapter three, verse 16, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth in pain. You shall bring forth children. This was a long term prophecy of creation itself. For Eve was said to be the lo- mother of all the living. And of course, um, we're speaking of living as in those who are alive in Christ. Right. Uh, and Adam all die even more so in Christ. All shall live. So. Creation, um, is, that is such a cool, such cool imagery. Eve is kind of likened to creation in that sense, bringing forth um, Christ, bringing forth Christ. And of course, Christ is that living uh, being because in him all things are made. And through him was not anything made that was not made. And in him all things hold together and consist. He is life itself. In him was life and the life was the light of men, and so in Christ, uh, all things are being brought together. Even though creation has been subjected to such suffering and such pain as a woman does in labor, but there is a great expectation at the end when the Son of God, who is uh, the body, right, is fully revealed. Isn't this amazing stuff, guys? It's hard for for people to read. I mean, I would find it hard to read the Bible and say, "Wow, this uh, this is really really boring." or this uh, makes no sense, or something of that sort. There is the connection, and the symbolism, and the foreshadowing, and the prophecy, and the depth, and the spiritual understanding, and the enlightenment, which comes from the scriptures, is amazing, guys. It is just out of this world, truly, not even of this world. There has been purpose, guys, in all of the suffering, hence, What was said of Eve was to be experienced by all creation generally. And not only this, in verse 23 of chapter 8 we read, But also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. And that adoption is the redemption of our body. Wow. Wow. To understand the concept of sonship, we must understand that we, on an individual level, are all pregnant with Christ, having been begotten by the seed of the Word through the Holy Spirit. It, is, it comes by hearing, it comes by faith. That Christ in us is veiled by our flesh, but we have a confident expectation of a time of birth when the hope of glory is unveiled for all. The world to see it is unveiled for all the world to see. So amazing. So going back to um we I man, this is just it's it's literally is incredible, guys. It is so incredible. So let's take a let's talk a little bit about the law of first fruits. Let's talk a little bit about the law of first fruits. We've got a couple more minutes here to, to kind of hash some things out. The sons of God will be delivered first because they have the first fruits of the Spirit. Okay? And James chapter one, verse 18, says that we are the first fruits among his creatures. These are those who actually um who have the first fruits of the spirit, who are being led by the sons of God by the uh, Spirit of God, who um are the sons of God, who are uh, groaning with him, who are sharing in his sufferings. We're not going to be the only ones who del- are delivered, but we are indeed to be the first. And the first fruits sanctify the harvest, for they represent what the rest of the crop, um, what they are to be. And they represent that the rest of the crop is yet to be harvested. So when the priest waved the first fruit of the sheep of barley on the first Sunday after Passover, it was the signal that the people could now harvest the rest of their barley. And this goes, guys, back to um, the the again the law of the first fruits. And so, also it is with the sons of God. The sons of God are the first fruits of a great harvest that comes after they have been presented to the Father on the eighth day of Tabernacles and then manifested or presented or unveiled to the world. This, guys, is the redemption of our body. And of course, this law is a first fruits. Um, There is there is a depth to the laws of of the first fruits, because we have to understand we have to go back to um, the book of Leviticus. and We have to check out um, and understand um, on what day they gathered the harvest and on what day they 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 waved the wave sheaf offering. Um, And we have to understand that those things are all symbolic. Those things are all symbolic and they all speak to um and they are a prophetic also uh, a foreshadowing of what will happen in the end so um obviously we can't go over all of it f- thoroughly and fully here but um just as a little taste of the law of first fruits um and we might have to go back and and do some more um touch up on the law of first fruits from the book of Leviticus so but Remember, guys, the redemption of our our body, that is uh, that is that is what we're groaning for. We're eagerly waiting for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body, which is odd because there's many people who that is not their hope. That's not what they're groaning for. They're waiting for some spiritual existence in heaven. And um, the sons of God, the adopted sons of God are waiting for the redemption of their bodies, physical bodies. Um, that are no longer pained by um, death, destruction, despair, disease, sickness, and mortality, right, just in general. So um, with that being said, wow, that was a great, to be honest, this is a great podcast. I hope you guys can share this with somebody um, and let them know and hear and see um, the hope of creation. We're going to be going on and moving on to a little bit more about this, and specifically the witness of the spirit and the training of the soul to hear as we continue um, to finish up book one um, in Paul's epistles to the saints in Rome, finishing up chapter eight and moving on to our next book. Blessings to you guys and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I hope you guys got something out of this today. I know I did. Uh, we will see you next episode. Thank you and we'll see you.